Book the Fifth, Part Eight of A Laodicean by Thomas Hardy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Simon Evans. Book the Fifth, Part Eight. It was quite true that Dostancy, at the present period of his existence, wished only to escape from the hurly burly of active life and to win the affection of Paula Power. There were, however, occasions when a recollection of his old renunciatory vows would obtrude itself upon him, and tinge his present with wayward bitterness. So much was this the case, that a day or two after they had arrived at Mainz, he could not refrain from making remarks almost prejudicial to his cause, saying to her, I am unfortunate in my situation. There are unhappily worldly reasons why I should pretend to love you even if I do not. They are so strong that, though really loving you, perhaps they enter into my thoughts of you. I don't want to know what such reasons are, said Paula, with promptness, for it required but little astuteness to discover that he alluded to the alienated Wessex home and estates. You lack tone, she gently added. That's why the situation of affairs seems distasteful to you. Yes, I suppose I am ill, and yet I am well enough. These remarks passed under a tree in the public gardens during an odd minute of waiting for Charlotte and Mrs. Goodman and he said no more to her in private that day. Few as her words had been, he liked them better than any he had lately received. The conversation was not resumed till they were gliding between the banks that bear the vine, on board one of the Rhine steamboats, which, like the hotels in this early summer-time, were comparatively free from other English travellers, so that everywhere Paula and her party were received with open arms and cheerful countenances as among the first swallows of the season. The saloon of the steamboat was quite empty, the few passengers being outside, and this paucity of voyagers afforded to Stancy a ruby opportunity. Paula saw him approach her, and then appearing in his face signs that he would begin again on the eternal subject, she seemed to be struck with a sense of the ludicrous. Stancy reddened. Something seems to amuse you, he said. It is over, she replied, becoming serious. Was it about me, or this unhappy fever in me? If I speak the truth, I must say it was. You thought, here's that absurd man again going to begin his daily supplication. Not absurd, she said with emphasis, because I don't think it is absurd. She continued looking through the windows of the Lullerai Heights under which they were now passing, and he remained with his eyes on her. "'May I stay here with you?' he said at last. "'I've not had a word with you alone for four-and-twenty hours.' "'You must be cheerful, then. "'You've said such as that before. "'I wish you would say loving instead of cheerful.' "'Yes, I know, I know,' she responded with impatient perplexity. "'But why must you think of me, me only? "'Is there no other woman in the world who has the power to make you happy? "'I'm sure there must be.' "'Perhaps there is, but I've never seen her.' Then look for her, and believe me when I say that you will certainly find her. He shook his head. Captain de Stancy, I have long felt for you, she continued with a frank glance into his face. You have deprived yourself too long of other women's company. Why not go away for a little time? And when you have found somebody else likely to make you happy, you can meet me again. I will see you at your father's house, and we will enjoy all the pleasure of easy friendship. Very correct. 
and very cold, oh, best of women. You are too full of exclamations and transports, I think. They stood in silence, Paula apparently much interested in the manoeuvring of a raft which was passing by. Yeah, Miss Fowler, he resumed, before I go and join your uncle above, let me just ask, do I stand any chance at all yet? Is it possible you can ever be more pliant than you have been? You put me out of all patience. But why did you raise my hopes? You should at least bitter me after doing that. Yes, it's that again. I unfortunately raised your hopes because I was a fool. I was not myself that moment. Now question me no more. As it is, I think you presume too much upon my becoming yours as the consequence of my having dismissed another. Not on becoming mine, but on listening to me. Your argument would be reasonable enough had I led you to believe I would listen to you, and ultimately accept you. But that I have not done. I see now that a woman who gives a man an answer one shade less peremptory than a harsh negative may be carried beyond her intentions and out of her own power before she knows it. Chide me if you will, I don't care. She looks steadfastly at him with a little mischief in her eyes. You do care, she said. Then why don't you listen to me? I would not persevere for a moment longer if it were against the wishes of your family. Your uncle says it would give him pleasure to see you accept me. Does he say why? she asked thoughtfully. Yes, he takes, of course, a practical view of the matter. He thinks it commends itself so to reason and common sense that the owner of Stancy Castle should become a member of the de Stancy family. Yes, that's the horrid plague of it, she said, with a nonchalance which seemed to contradict her words. It is so dreadfully reasonable that we should marry. I wish it wasn't. Well, you are younger than I, and perhaps that's a natural wish. But to me it seems a felicitous combination not often met with. I confess that your interest in our family before you knew me lent a stability to my hopes that otherwise they would not have had. My interest in the distances has not been a personal interest except in the case of your sister, she returned. It has been a, an historical interest only, and is not at all increased by your existence. And perhaps it is not diminished. No, I'm not aware that it is diminished she murmured, as she observed the gliding shore. Well, you will allow me to say this, since I say it without reference to your personality or to mine, that the power and Stancy families are the complements to each other, and that, abstractedly, they call earnestly to each other. How neat and fit a thing for us to join hands! Paula, who was not prudish when a direct appeal was made to her common sense, answered with ready candour, Yes, from the point of view of domestic politics, that undoubtedly is the case. But I hope I am not so calculating as to risk happiness in order to round off a social idea. I hope not, or that I am either. Still, the social idea exists, and my increased years make its existence more obvious to me than to you. The ice once broken on this aspect of the question, the subject seemed further to engross her and she spoke on as if daringly inclined to venture where she had never anticipated going, deriving pleasure from the very strangeness of her temerity. You mean that in the fitness of things I ought to become a distante to strengthen my social position? And that I ought to strengthen mine by alliance with the heiress of a name so dear to engineering science as power? 
Well, we are talking with unexpected frankness. But you're not seriously displeased with me for saying what, after all, one can't help feeling and thinking? No. Only be so good as to leave off going further for the present. Indeed, of the two, I would rather have the other sort of address. I mean, she hastily added, that what you urge as a result of a real affection, however unsuitable, I have some remote satisfaction in listening to, not the least from any reciprocal love on my side, but from a woman's gratification at being the object of anybody's devotion. For that feeling towards her is always regarded as a merit in a woman's eye, and taken as a kindness by her, even when it is at the expense of her convenience. He had said, voluntarily or involuntarily, better things than he expected, and perhaps too much in her own opinion, for she hardly gave an open opportunity of replying. They passed St. Goa and Boppard, and when steering round the sharp bend of the river, just beyond the latter place, Nastancy met her again, exclaiming, You left me very suddenly. You must make allowances, please, she said. I have always stood in need of them. Then you shall always have them. I don't doubt it, she said quickly. But Paula was not to be caught again, and kept close to the side of her aunt while they glided past Braubach and Oberlandstern. Approaching Koblenz, her aunt said, Paula, let me suggest that you be not so much alone with Captain de Stancy. And why? said Paula quietly. You'll have plenty of offers if you want them, without taking trouble, said the direct Mrs. Goodman. Your existence is hardly known to the world yet, and Captain de Stancy is too near middle age for a girl like you. Paula did not reply to either of these remarks, being seemingly so interested in Erberenstein's heights as not to hear them. End of Book the Fifth, Part Eight.